0: As parents, we are blessed with the gift of raising our children and helping to shape their futures. It's a challenge that can be both difficult and incredibly rewarding. We wanna be the best parents and grandparents we can be. The Bible is the best resource for every aspect of living and it excels in parenting. God's Word guides us in the goal of raising amazing kids. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you from all of our campuses that are in person today... I'm so grateful that you're here. You took all this energy and time. You got dressed, you got here. We're so grateful for all of you. And for everyone that is tuning in online, yay God for you, we're so grateful wherever you live, even if it's Sugarland. everywhere, wherever you live, we're so glad, so thankful that God has brought you here to this service and you're with us again today. The truth is parenting usually begins with being in labor. And the truth about that is that the labor never ends. No matter how long it's labor, we're working with our kids, we're we're helping our kids, even when they're adults, and it is the greatest, greatest job in the whole wide world. We're in a series right now entitled uh, Parental Guidance, Raising Amazing Kids. And in this four-part series, that all, all it is, we're trying to work with what different places in the Bible teach us about the whole idea of raising our children and even our grandchildren. So let me tell you, this morning, the service, the message is very different. Now, I've been here a long time, and we're used to going to a passage of Scripture or a book in the Bible and reading through that and talking about what God was saying there. But this is going to be a little bit different message, and I'm asking you to give me a little grace with that as we work through the message today. Now, uh, next Sunday is the, the last sermon in the message in this series, and I'm going to be talking about the idea of what do you do when your adult child walks away from God? How do you deal with that? What do you do with that? And we're going to see what God's word teaches us about that subject. Last Sunday in the second message in the series, we went to a verse of scripture in Luke chapter two, verse 52, that it sort of summarizes Jesus's childhood. Amazingly, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Jesus's childhood at all. It just people come up with all kinds of imaginations of what it might've been like, but the Bible doesn't actually tell us. It gives us one story and it gives us that one verse and Jesus, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. And if you think about it, it's the four basic ideas of raising a child. And the first one so many people have forgotten about, that part of our job is to help our children learn wisdom. Learn wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is taking a principle out of the Bible and putting it into everyday life. Letting the principles from God's word actually become how we act. Uh, how we live our life. We become wiser and wiser the more we say yes to God and do the things he tells us to do. But part of what the job is as parents is then that we help our children know what we did, how we do it, did it, why we did it, and help them build those principles into their everyday life. I think it's the missing ingredient today in parenting, and I think it is the key, key thing that helps a child all the rest of their life live for God we talked about that last week and then Jesus grew up our children grow physically and then grow we teach our children how to grow in an understanding of who God is and how to love God and walk with God in favor with God and in favor with other people in other words we teach our children how to get along with other people in their lives Last week, we started uh, really what is a two-part thing, and that is eight key principles from the Bible that we need to teach our children to help them live their best life. And last week, we talked about the first three. This morning, I want to share with you the last five things that I've learned in God's Word that we understood, my wife and I, as we were raising our kids, so let's get started. By the way, we're not dealing with all the topics, and we can't, but there's a QR code right there, right there in the student notes. You can go to all kinds of resources that can help you that our education staff has put together, and if you come to a situation, okay, this wasn't covered, but I need help, you talk to one of our pastors. We're here for you. We wanna help you be the best you can be in the job of parenting your children. Get, use us as a resource. Now, the first principle today of these last five is, protect your kids in life's storms. Now notice I didn't say from life's storms, I said in life's storms, and there's a great difference. When your child is first born, obviously you're gonna protect that little baby from everything, they can't protect themselves, from all storms in their life, you're gonna do your best. And you keep doing that in their early years because they're still learning and growing and growing up, but something happens. There is a moment in time. I I don't think there's an age. I think it depends on the child, but there's a moment in time that it changes in which you go from protecting them from storms to protecting them in storms. That there are age appropriate, please hear me say that, there are age appropriate storms that every child has to go through, needs to go through, needs to learn from, and you cannot, you should not protect them from those storms. This is part of them growing up, them developing, they need these storms. You should not protect them from them, you should protect them in them. So, let let me give you an example. Uh, my youngest son, Jonathan, was uh, in the first grade. Uh, Kathy and I talked about this. It's first or second grade. And, and in the first grade, I guess it was, uh, we were in, we lived in a neighborhood that was very close to the elementary school. So um, most of the kids in that neighborhood just walked to the school. We just only lived a few blocks away from it. They would walk to school. They would walk home. And it was totally safe. Jonathan did that very thing. But there was a little boy in his class that was bigger than him, much bigger than him and he was in the same grade, in the same class and that little boy decided to begin bullying Jonathan. Well, he would wait until they got off school property and then he, uh, on the sidewalks, he would start calling Jonathan names and that sort of thing. When Jonathan shared that was happening with us, uh, we started trying to help out we invited the little boy to come to our house so that he could spend some time and play with Jonathan, get to know each other. He, he refused. We then invited him to go get ice cream with Jonathan and then, you know, kind of break the ice with that. He refused. And there were times in which we encountered that little boy at school events, and we were so friendly to him, that didn't help, we prayed for him, that didn't help, and the truth is, uh, we did everything except go see his parents, and that usually, with a bully situation, does not work out. We had done everything we knew to do, but one day, Jonathan came home from school and said that the little boy had pushed him really hard, It hit him, and that was it for me. When the little boy got physical, that was, that was all I was gonna take. And so I sat down with Jonathan and I said to Jonathan, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. When you are walking home, get off school property, get on the sidewalks, get on the sidewalk as you're coming home. And I said, and, and, and let's hope that the boy doesn't do anything. But if he does, if he comes up and he says things, we're not gonna worry about that. But if he, if he hits you, if he shoves you, Don't even look at him. Don't say anything. Keep walking. He'll come for a second shove, and when he does, turn around and smack him in the face as hard as you can smack him. Now I know that some—I know some of you are thinking, "What? Are you a pastor? You're a pastor, and you're telling—did you not read Jesus saying that that you should turn the other cheek?" And all I know is we turned every cheek we had and nothing changed anything. <laughs> nothing changed anything. And so the moment he crossed the line and he hit my son, that was it. So. Uh, I told Jonathan to do this. And he said to me, daddy's bigger than me. And if I hit him, he's gonna hit me back. And I said to him, well, the, the good news about this is that when he first hits you, it doesn't really hurt that much. And I didn't tell him later, cause I thought that was too, informa- too much information. So I said, so it won't hurt that much. So here's what I'm gonna say. He hits you, you keep hitting him until he doesn't hit you anymore. And then we practiced. We did not practice on my face. We practiced with my hand, and I put my hand out. I said, I want you to hit my hand. He didn't hit it very hard. And I said, we're gonna be here a long time until you, you have to hit my hand so much that it hurts. And I tell you, it was like this is the coolest moment of all time. This is what I've been hoping for. And so he started hitting my hand, and boy, he was just hitting the way out of my hand. And finally, I said, "Okay, I think I think we got it. I think we're there." And I said to him, "Now, that's how you hit that little boy, and you hit him in the face." The next morning, we got up, my wife and Kathy and I and Jonathan, and we prayed together. And we prayed, God, help this little boy to to fix his problems and stop bothering Jonathan. And then Jonathan went to school, I went to work. I went to church, it's my job. And I went to work and the whole time I was just, I couldn't concentrate on anything. And when we were getting closer to the moment that school was letting out, I prayed, oh God, please help that little boy to straighten up today and if not, Give Jonathan the best punch he could possibly have and smack that little kid. And then honestly what happened is I couldn't take it anymore. I got in the car and drove home. I, I just had to be there. Jonathan comes in and I, and I said to him, what happened? And here's what he said. He said, dad, I got off school property. I was on the sidewalk now. I was coming home. And then I heard the little boy, the same little boy. And he was calling me names and stuff. But he came up and he pushed me. He said, I didn't look at him. I didn't say a word because I knew a second push was coming because you told me what it was coming. And so he said, I just waited. And when I knew I could hear his footsteps, I knew he was right behind me. I turned around and I smacked him harder than anybody I've ever smacked in my life. And he said, I knocked him to the ground. And I said, what happened next? He said, nothing. He didn't do anything. I turned and I walked home and we celebrated in our house that night. We celebrated that night. It was a a wonderful moment. So let me tell you the end of the story. It just so happens magically that that little boy on that very day decided he liked Jonathan. He now liked Jonathan, and I really mean that because what happened is that he and Jonathan became great friends. Yeah, all the way to high school, all the way until we moved here he and Jonathan were great friends. We were on the same ball teams, the same classrooms. That little boy came to our house I don't know how many times. Jonathan went to his house I don't know how many times. And he, he was a good little boy. I don't know what was going on in first grade, but he was a good little boy and, and he had great parents. His parents and Kathy and I became really good friends. And that's how that story turned out. But I'm gonna tell you something happened. With Jonathan, something happened in my son. He came to realize at that moment, mom and dad are there, they'll coach me, they'll help me, but I can actually deal with some things in my life myself. Listen to me, parents that just hover over their kids and smother their kids, you're actually causing them to not grow. You're actually holding them back. You don't want to. You love your kids, but you can't do that. You, you've got to let your kids experience age-appropriate storms and work their way through those storms. And then they come home and this is the comfort zone. You put your arms around them, you love them, you're there for them. Proverbs fourteen twenty six says, reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength. Do, do, reverence means that, that you respect God, you, you love God, you honor God. Do you love him? Do you love God? Do you honor him and respect him? Well, if you do, what happens because of you as a parent, as a father, as a mother, that God gives to you deep strength. That's what he is saying. He gives you great strength and his, her children have a place of refuge and security because of your reference of God. That's what a home is about, it's about security. It's about a safe place. Little kids go through storms when there is change. That's the first fill in the blank. When there is change that happens in their lives, they have storms. When a new kid comes into the class or moves in down the street, there's some change that might happen with your child. When when events happen, there's change, and there are times in which your child has to work through age appropriate storms age appropriate means the older they get the bigger the storms age appropriate storms so they learn how to live life and stand on their own two feet but there you are you are the safety net for them you are the safe haven for them when they experience failure, and failure is a part of life. Everybody fails. Everybody really ought to have times of failures. Part of winning is failing and picking yourself back up again and keep going. That's how you learn to win. But when you fail, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. That's you. This is a place of safety. This is the place where your child gets to fail and it's okay and there you are and you are the arms around your child and helping them and loving them and helping them through that storm. Storms come because of rejection and every single one of us have experienced rejection many times in our life. Criticism from other people, being pushed away by other people, being excluded by other people, it's a part of life. But your child needs a safe place and this is why divorce is so damaging because it's more damaging to the child than it is to to the parents because the safe place got a major upheaval that has happened, and you can explain it all you want, but there is a pain inside of that child. And and the pain is my place of safety has now been damaged. And this is why Jesus said in Mark chapter three, verse 25, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. And this is why you gotta get a hold of this issue. Teach your children how to work through age appropriate storms. They need them in order to grow up. Second of all, trust your children with responsibility. So look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 and 12. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. As your child is learning to be trusted with little, this child is gonna grow up to be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest, even with a little, will become dishonest with much. And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who gives give you property of your own? How in the world do you think you'll be able to take care of yourself? I've been reading a few articles by sociologists who are saying that now every successive generation in this country is getting worse and worse in entitlement, the the attitude of entitlement. The, The attitude that says, I am entitled to such and such my parents well you have to be good to me that's your job you have to take care of me that's your job oh boy that would not fly the world owes me so much the world doesn't owe you anything part of growing up is learning how to be responsible yourself. And it takes layers after layers after layers of responsibility. And so you are in this safe place called a home so that you will learn responsibility all the way up until you are able to handle it on your own. The kids learn with chores. Every kid should be having chores, they learn with chores, and they then they learn to get paid, maybe in their family or a nearby family or something, and then it goes beyond that. It's layers after layers of responsibility. One of the greatest jobs of parents is to slowly and appropriately teach their children how to take on age-appropriate responsibilities and stand on their own two feet. You wanna grow adults, you have to grow them one layer of responsibility after another. One of Kathy and I's goal was to take two boys and turn them into men. And it meant they had to learn little by little to take on man-sized responsibilities and do it well. And that's how children grow. So here's what, what we did. One of the things you gotta do is teach your children how to make money and how to manage money. That's one of the things you gotta do. So here's what we did. We, we gave our, our kids, our boys had chores that they had to accomplish, but when m- my sons reached middle school, they had to help me with the yard, and I began to teach them every one of the pieces of equipment. They'd learn how to do the mower, and how to go back and make sure they did a good job with the mower. And then how to use the weed eater and how to use the blower and how to use the edger and how to, to uh, uh, cut bushes. And they had to learn how to do what I was doing in the yard. They had to learn it. They had to do it. They had to learn how to do it well. And then in the eighth grade, I required my two sons when they got to the eighth grade, they had to take one to two yards in the neighborhood where they became the yard boy. They used all my equipment, we got the equipment there. They had to take one or two yards and they had to do all from beginning to end the yard. The next year they had to take five. The next year they could take as many as they wanted. Now they're in high school. But at the eighth grade, that's where we started. And when they got paid, they gave 10% to Jesus. And then they put the rest of it in savings. We started a savings account. And here was the deal. As soon as you save $5,000, which is like 10 million for a kid, you save $5,000, I will put $5,000 with it and we'll go buy your first car. Now they were highly motivated, both of them very highly motivated. You and that day could buy a really good car, a used car for $10,000 and we went and bought those cars and both of my sons reached the 5,000 mark right at their 16th birthday. They let their grandparents know, we don't want any more toys, we want money. Just give us money, that's all we want is money. And they kept saving. And then after the lawns, I wanted them to learn to sweat and learn to work outside. And, and, and then they went and worked in fast food places and other places, and they kept building layer after layer after layer of responsibility. Well, when this was all happening, uh, there was a family in my former church in Oklahoma that came up to, to me and asked me to pull aside and then they explained to me, you're not doing... We heard what you're doing with your boys. That's not the right thing. You're really not a good, good being a good father. And uh, which I thought, why are we having this conversation? But then they exp- explained, here is the right way. We are not going to let our children work at any jobs until they graduate from, he graduates from college because they're going to work the rest of his life. He ought to play and not work until he graduates from college. So here's what I said to them. I said, you know, the great thing about parenting is every parent can do it the way they want. So you do the way you want, and I hope it all works out for you. We'll do the way we want, and that's what we're doing right now. And then the conversation came to an end. That same family, and I thought, good grief, what? So that same family came up to me. It was either three or four years later. Came up to me after a service, pulled me aside. I thought, oh, no. So pulled me aside, and they said, we're wanting to talk to you because we want to apologize to you. We were wrong. And I said, well, what brought you to this moment? And they said, our son is now in his mid-20s. He's late for work, he's been fired a couple of times, he can't hold a job, and we realize we didn't get him ready. And we were wrong. And I wanna say this to you. I don't care how nice that sounds, your child needs to wait until college or whatever, your child needs to learn how to work, learn how to be responsible. Layers of responsibility all through their life. The one characteristic that demonstrates maturity at the highest level is responsibility. Responsibility, you want your child to grow up to be a woman, to be a man, that can take on adult responsibilities and do it well. Galatians chapter six, verse five says, we are each responsible for our own actions. And you don't learn that at the turn of a dime You learn that little by little. Here is the third thing, build forever memories. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine says it this way. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So here is the idea of this passage that Moses is giving. What Moses is saying in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is God has been at work in your life. There've been times you found yourself in a, in, a, in a hard place, in a difficult place, and you prayed, and God came through for you, and he delivered you, or you were in some situation, and you learned the hard way, Hard way, but you learned it, and you repented, and you came back to God. When you do these moments, when God has come through for you in a powerful way, when, when you have repented in a powerful way, build a monument. As they actually built monuments. They build a monument. And remember, that monument means that moment when God came through for me. Build a monument. Now, you don't have to build monuments, but at least build one in your mind. You can build a monument if you want to, but at least build one in your mind. Those times that you learned from God, you grew in your spiritual life, and then share those times with your kids and your grandkids one day. What God did in your life, how he blessed you, how he helped you, how he miraculously came through for you. You know why you need to build these monuments of things that have already happened in your life? Because you're about to face other things and they're going to be hard and terrible storms and you're going to think good grief can i even get through this i don't even know i can trust god for this this is way beyond anything but then when you go back to the monuments of where god already came through for you you'll be reminded it'll build your faith it'll build your courage he's already done it for me i know he'll do it again i'm going to trust god but not only will you do that your kids They'll have learned from you what God did in your life and what God's doing in their life. They'll build little monuments for themselves and they will learn how to trust God. Don't forget what God's done for you. Build a monument for each of those things. But now I want to take the application of that verse a little bit further than it was originally intended. And here's what I want to say. Make Forever memories with your children as you're growing up. Develop traditions. Take vacations, even if they're not, they're just simple. Take vacations, even if they're simple. Do things together. Take pictures. Hang pictures in your home. My sons actually don't know this, but I've kept some of their report cards. Not the bad ones, the good ones. I burned all of the bad ones. They're burned and gone, never to be seen again. I kept a few, not all of them, but a few of the good, they don't even know I did that. And I kept other things from them because they're memories for me. There was one simple thing that we did, Kathy and I did, that was more important than we realized. We were living in a particular house and for that period of time, we decided to call every Friday night movie and pizza night. Uh, I didn't take any appointments, I didn't do anything with anybody else on Friday night but our family. That was our family's night, nobody could touch that. And every Friday night, we ordered pizza, that's not a big thing, I know, especially today, but it's not a big thing. But here was the big thing. We didn't have to eat in the kitchen. We got to eat the pizza in the den, on the floor. And we took the pizza, we took it up there, we could eat the pizza on the floor, and it was movie night. Either it was a movie on TV or we rented a movie, and we watched a movie sitting on the floor eating pizza, with just us laughing at the, the movies and I know it sounds so simple what's well, a big deal but what's interesting both of my sons have brought that up in their adult life of you remember when we used to that was really a great moment they would tell me three weeks ago my youngest son and I were talking on the phone and he said you're not going to believe what I was just thinking about the other day I was thinking about pizza night Friday night pizza night and it was just a good time in our, in our family. Kathy came up with an idea. You know all these pictures you've taken of all the kids? We've taken a million pictures. They're in boxes, and, and I never look at them. Kathy looks at them from time to time. And she came up with an idea. We got eight grandkids. Every birthday with the grandkids, she goes through the pictures and gets a picture of their father, at his, at their age, when he was their age, a picture of Matthew when he was their age, puts the picture in the card and gets some other card, another picture, that's him just doing something wacky. And they open the card, there's the pictures, and we just look at the pictures and laugh, and they say, he looked this, this way when, when he was my age? It's just memories. Be intentional to build forever memories, not just as parents, but as grandparents, as grandparents with your kids. Here's number four. Play with your kids for fun. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, kids are a gift from God. They're a gift from God to be enjoyed, not to be endured to be enjoyed which means that you have fun one of the things that never left me is uh, i like to play and i like to play with kids i like to play i like to play with my two sons i love playing with my grandkids i i do it i it's not a chore i actually just absolutely i love it i love doing it and i can't tell you the number of times that my I can remember my sons and I playing catch. I bought two buckets of balls so that I could hit them grounders and I could hit them pop-ups and the number of times we threw the football and the number of thousands of times we played horse and basketball just over and over and over again and I look back with such great memories. The number of times that we rode bikes together and played Pile on Dad on the floor together. Just great memories. The... The times we played video games together, which wasn't very much, because when I got to Mario, I never could get above a certain level, like two levels, I never could get there. And I said, okay, I'm done. So I've not actually ever played with video games since. I don't know how to play with any of them, and I I don't miss it. We also built into our lives trick-or-treating and going to the mall, sitting on Santa's lap, and he, hunting Easter eggs. And I do know, I've been told so many times in my ministry, because I've been kind of open about that, uh, that there are different people that have different convictions against observing those things. And to that I say, please, if God's given you conviction, have the conviction and live by that conviction. But God gave Kathy and I the convic- con- con- conviction that they were fun. And we did them and we've loved them ever since and the millions of ball games, and the swimming, and the snow skiing, and the amusement parks. But I will tell you something, I got really tired of the amusement parks. And when we first started, I informed my sons that I was a man's man, because they wouldn't know any different anyway. So I was this He-Man, and but that that got me stuck. That meant I had to go on all the rides and I didn't wanna go on a bunch of those rides. And the one in which you go so high, a mile high, and then the floor drops out, I'll never go on that again. I I don't like a whole bunch of rides. Never ever again. But the amusement parks and the time we spent together. What I'm saying is deliberately, intentionally make fun memories with your kids in which you are relaxed and there's no cell phone anywhere close you're not looking at your phone someday things are going to be a whole lot different the kitchen will be neat the sinks won't be full of sticky dishes the refrigerator won't be clogged with nine bottles of milk You, you won't lose the tops of your jelly jars And when that happens, you're going to be glad and you're going to be sad. And the thing is, enjoy now. Wherever now is, enjoy now. So here's the last one. Give your child a peaceful home. No family's perfect. You know that. We all get dressed and we come to church. We've all got our smiles on and we're looking like, hey, everything's good at our house. And sometimes that is and sometimes that's really not. So let me just say, every family is dysfunctional in one way or another. Every family is dysfunctional in one way or another. There is no perfect family. There are no super people. None of us have peaceful homes all the time. Sometimes we have a conflict. We've got to forgive and, be, and ask for forgiveness. None of us do everything right all the time. It's real life, and it's okay to be a real person. At the same time, Every child needs a peaceful home. It is a place of safety. So what do I mean when I say a peaceful home? Where there is discipline that does not include yelling and screaming. Number two, where there are boundaries... There have to be boundaries and rules, but the rules are not excessive. Some kids, they can't even walk into their house without somehow breaking some rule, and and heaven forbid they get anything dirty, and there can be excessive rules. Boundaries, but not excessive rules. Three, a place where their friends are totally welcome to hang out. Four, for those who are married, and not everybody is, so stop for a moment. Those of you who are single moms, I don't, know, I don't know how you do it. And single dads, I don't know how you do it. There is a power that God gives you beyond what he gives the rest of us because you have a job that is the most unbelievable job. And many of you you are doing, you're just doing so Great. You're doing so great. Don't be as hard on yourself, maybe, as you're being. But for those who are married and a mom and dad, come to the place to finally learn how to accept each other's differences and how to love each other. So, I don't mean accepting sinful behavior. I'm not saying that, but I am saying, come to a place of accepting the personality of the person that you married. And so I just wanna give you a heads up on something. You're never gonna change him. It's a hopeless, it's a hopeless thing. You're never gonna change her. It is a hopeless endeavor. So here is the deal, in about 30 years, you will finally give up and say, I'm I'm not gonna change you, I just accept you for who you are. You're gonna do that. And then it's gonna be, you can't believe how great it's gonna be. And I'm just suggesting, why not do it earlier? And come to a place to say, "I, I can't change him. I'm not talking about sinful behavior, I'm talking about personality. I'm not gonna change him, I'm not gonna change her. And I choose to love you and accept you, your personality, exactly the way you are. And you know what will happen? There's peace that's coming. There's peace that's coming. Five, a place where there is freedom from comparison to other siblings. I'm not going to get compared to my brother or sister. And here's six. A place where kids can be themselves and don't have to pretend to be somebody else just to please their parents. I'm not talking about sinful behavior. I'm talking about personality. Where your child can be your child and not have to be somebody else to please you. We're not perfect. We have times in which we squabble in our house and we have times in which we, we um, have spats and we, it just happens. We, and even when you accept your spouse's personality, sometimes it just rubs the wrong way at that moment. And when it does, okay, just ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness and go back to peace. Your children need a peaceful home and it's the parents that set the tone so let's pray God to do what we need to do to help our children grow up to be able to take on life in the best way we, we need a power beyond us we, we need Jesus in our life We need Christ. And we ask, Father, that you would build within our life the wisdom of Jesus, that we would take the principles that you teach us and we would live them out and teach our children to do the same. Father, I pray for those that are in person, those who are online, who don't know Jesus yet, that this would be the moment that they would give their heart to Christ. Oh God, I need you. I need you so badly in my life and I need you to change me from the inside out. And I ask you, would you forgive me of my sin? I turn my heart to you by faith. May this be the day of salvation for many that are listening to me right now. And Father, move in hearts that we would learn how to walk with you. And I pray this.